Well, if you're joining us for the first time, it's a great week for you to be joining us because we're starting our book of the year, uh, where we're going to be looking at the book of 2 Corinthians. If you, um, if you found this little handout inside your service, it's something for you to take away, just sort of introduce a few things about the book. I won't have time to go back over all the background. And if you want to know about a bit more reading or some other things you can be looking at, just um, uh, send me an email. We'll catch me after the service, and I can fill you in on that. Good. My book of the year, 2 Corinthians. I don't know whether you remember a couple of years back that senior, uh, senior politicians started adopting a power stance. Do you remember that? So this is, the, this is the, a picture of them up on the screen. Uh, I think we've got a picture of George Osborne, David Cameron, Savid Javid, and Theresa May. Have we got that picture up on the screen? Uh, Laura, could you just stick up those four politicians on the screen? There we go. Um, George Osborne, David Cameron, Savid Javid, and Theresa May. And this, this is the stance, okay. Legs wide apart, hands in a sort of alpha male position. And, um, uh, and then that's, I think the idea is you project authority. Uh, you show that you're someone of substance and uh, power. It's supposed to be a life hack for positive thinking. Just adopt that stance. I can feel my thinking becoming more positive by the second. Uh, although actually, as someone points out on Twitter, if you have a look at the next picture, um, there's nothing new about that stance at all, really. It's not quite as modern as you think. Uh, but the power stance, the power stance is, um, is alive and well in Christianity. And from time to time, I think we're tempted to take the power stance ourselves. If not physically, then uh, maybe in some of the things we think and some of the things we say. You know, if, if people ask us how our church is going, then we'll immediately uh, think of the most successful thing, uh, the thing that we can talk about, the thing that seems to be going the best, the ways in which we're succeeding. We might even exaggerate slightly as we sort of take up the, the power stance talking about our church. Or, um, or maybe, maybe if we get into a discussion about Christianity with someone from another religion, I hope you have the chance to do that from time to time. I talk to Muslims or Sikhs or Hindus maybe about Christianity, then um, we tend to focus on our position of strength as Christians. I don't know if, if you do that, if you're the kind of person who gets into those conversations. Two and a half billion Christians worldwide, largest religion in the world, fastest growing religion in the world, power stance. We tend to exaggerate the things that we think will make us look strong. And I wonder why we do that when the founding documents of Christianity are all about weakness. They're all about weakness. Take, for example, the book that we're looking at this year, the book of 2 Corinthians. You can uh, read a little bit about the history of that book. Um, I put a little bit of it on, on this sheet. But the Apostle Paul, who wrote it to a church in Corinth in the first century, keeps on saying things like this. Let me give you three verses from the book of 2 Corinthians. He says, who is weak and I do not feel weak. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness, Paul says. And then the verse that we're taking as our key verse this year, the Lord said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses 
so that Christ's power may rest on me. 2 Corinthians is a book all about weakness. Why are, we, why are we going to look at it together? Why do we need to read it? Well, the, the church hasn't always got power relationships right. You might know about that. It's been very much debated over, over the last couple of years. The church hasn't, hasn't often got power relationships right. So we, we may well need to be reminded that at the heart of the gospel is a truth about weakness and an apparently weak Messiah, Jesus Christ. And so the book of 2 Corinthians is going to remind us that the leaders God chooses are often in despair. We're going to think about that a bit later on. And we're going to think about the church, rightly, rightly seen, is, is, is a safe place for the weak. And we're going to be reminded that suffering reveals the power of Jesus Christ and the glory of God. That's our new series and we're calling it The Gospel According to Weakness. And we're going to be looking at it over the course of the next year. We're going to be letting go of our power stance this afternoon. And we're going to be diving in. But before we do that, I'm going to hand over to Dave Denny. He's going to be praying. And then Matt Tesla's going to read the passage to us. Thank you, Dave. The reading today is from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1 to 11. It's on page 1159 of the Church Bibles. Verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy our brother, to a church of God in Corinth, together with all his holy people throughout Achaia, grace and peace to you from Christ our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If you are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If you are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experience in the province of Asia. We are under great pressure, far beyond, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received a sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, who raised the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us, as you help us by your prayers, then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favour granted us and answer the prayers of many. Thanks, Matt, very, very much indeed. And it's exciting to be starting a new uh, book of the year today. Do keep that open, page 1159. And if it's your first time here, as I said, it's a great week to be joining us. Well, we're going to come back to that part of the Bible in just a second. But first, very aware of our weakness, we're going to pray. So let's pray and ask for our reliance to be on the God of all comfort. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, God of compassion, 
Uh, we stand here as individuals before you this afternoon. We know that you're the God of all compassion. So I pray very simply, Father, that as we listen to your word and as we hear your voice and as we meet you in the pages of the Bible, so we would know your comfort. And we pray that for your glory alone. In Jesus' name. Amen. So as we said, we, we live in a world where people are sometimes very subtly uh, adopting all kinds of power stances. So many things in our society are really to do with power. Sometimes those stances are adopted in the name of liberation or freedom or in the name of self-respect or, or rights. Sometimes in the name of political leadership. And many people around us, and we ourselves from time to time, adopt power stances in order to get what we want. Because what, what happens in the world often very, very quickly um, affects the Christian church. And we can see that, for instance, in, in the church in Corinth in the first century. Uh, the leaders in the church in Corinth were very interested in their power stances. So much so that they come to despise the Apostle Paul because he couldn't pull off a power pose in any convincing way. You might say that some of the Tory politicians couldn't either, but Paul in particular was far from impressive, they felt. He thought he was boring and embarrassing. And so the leaders in the Corinthian church turned out to overvalue success and appearance, and the Corinthian church was trying to decide between them and the Apostle Paul himself. Paul is writing into that situation in, in, in the first century, but, but rather than looking in the mirror and, and brushing up on his, on his power stance as you'd, as you'd expect him to, he does something incredibly surprising, and that he doesn't give a sort of highlights reel of his ministry so far. We completely expect him to do that, an extraordinary and astonishingly effective apostle for the gospel. Paul gives his Christian lowlights. He's not afraid to talk about the things that have gone wrong. He's not afraid to talk about why he's changed his plans. He's not ashamed to talk about why he's been so tempted to give up. And, and, and he just lets go of his power pose, and he shows what real Christian ministry looks like, what authentic Christian leadership is all about, what, what it has to be about, because it mirrors the ministry of Jesus Christ in all of his apparent weakness. And he knows that, that a life full of evident weakness shows the strength of God in his life, and he knows that the suffering that he has faced is for others' comfort. We're going to find that out as we look together at 2 Corinthians chapter 1, down there on page 1159. But here's the first summary point that we're thinking about, the first of two this afternoon. This is what it says. Take comfort. God's leaders suffer like Jesus for your sake. Take comfort. God's leaders suffer like Jesus for your sake. Um, do notice that, that Paul really is a genuine Christian leader, and he lists his credentials very, um, very briefly at the top of the page in, in chapter 1, verse 1. Do you see that? 
Paul is a real Christian leader. He says he's um, an apostle of Christ Jesus, someone who's sent personally by the, by the risen Lord Jesus Christ, by the will of God. And, and so he really does have the right to adopt a power pose if, if, if he so, so decides. He's an authentic apostle, and he first took the gospel to Corinth in Acts chapter 18. He planted the church. Not just that, but Jesus sent him to the church, he's saying. He's uh, commissioned by, by the Lord Jesus Christ. There were, no, there were no Christians in Corinth until Paul turned up. And just like the first person who shared the gospel with you, I don't know who first shared the gospel with you. The, the, the man who shared the gospel with me when I became a Christian was a guy called Roland Smith. The only thing I remember about him is that he worked in a jam factory. When you're 13, that's an important thing. That's the kind of thing that you remember. Jam is a very important thing to you. But just like the first person who shared the gospel with you, well, you respect them, don't you? I mean, they're important to you. They, they mean a lot to you. And Paul is a real Christian leader. And he has the authority, it says here. Um, can you see that? Verse 2, to, to bring grace and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ to this church. Paul, Paul is a real apostle. He's a real leader. He's the genuine thing. And yet he's found comfort in in what? He's found comfort in his sufferings. He's found comfort in his sufferings. Have a look down there at verse 3 in the left-hand column. It's surprising words, surprising words from, a, from, from, from one of the foremost apostles in the New Testament. Surprising that he plays himself down so much. Here we go, verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of comfort who comforts us, by which Paul refers to himself and, and maybe Timothy as well, who comforts us in all our troubles. He's taking his um, troubles to the Father of compassion and the God of comfort. The Father of compassion and the God of comfort. It'd be good to it's a pray to a God like that, wouldn't it? Maybe this week you want to begin your prayers. Father of compassion and God of comfort. That would be a great way to start, wouldn't it? You know, if people only recognize the power of God, then uh, they'll only want God to protect them from trouble or, or, or to rescue them from trouble. But a God who's full of compassion and a God who's full of comfort will be with us in our troubles. That's the thing. He's, he's right with us, and Paul knows that God is with him in his trouble. Now, Paul doesn't list here exactly what that trouble is, but we know what it's like from the rest of the book. Here are six things that we know that Paul faces. First of all, he, his plans have been frustrated. And at, at various points, he makes plans, and, and then for, for, for a number of reasons, those plans don't come to fruition. Secondly, people that he knows have damaged the gospel work. They've turned against him. They're undermining his precious work for the sake of, of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thirdly, we know that his teaching sometimes seems to make so little difference. He preaches his heart out, and there's so little response. Fourthly, the opposition he's facing is so fierce. In Corinth, there's uh, this public unrest. He's only teaching about Jesus. He's not... 
He's not selling drugs. Fifthly, he feels the, the pressure of the concern for the churches that he knows. He wakes up in the middle of the night and he thinks, I wonder how these Ephesians are doing, and the Colossians and the Philippians. And then he has what he calls later on in the book, his thorn in the flesh, which may be a, may be a long-term illness. Now, Paul suffers, and he puts that up front in his letter. He doesn't try and hide it. He doesn't give a sort of series of highlights of his ministry. He talks about his sufferings, and he talks about how he's found comfort in those sufferings. It's not just in the, in the way that a friendly flatmate can uh, cheer you up after a bad day at work, although that is a lovely thing. You know, thank you to all those lovely flatmates out there who've, uh, who've cheered up a Christian brother or sister. But Paul has found comfort in his sufferings because it connects him with Jesus. Have a look at verse 5. Have a look down at that. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. So he knows that, that, that his ministry resembles Jesus' ministry, and that gives him great comfort. You know, um, not everyone Jesus spoke to is impressed by what he said. It's extraordinary, isn't it? The Son of God was standing right in front of them, and they were unimpressed. You know, Jesus knew frustrated plans, and, and he knew people who damaged the work, and he faced opposition. And, and, and sometimes people just walk away, sometimes in quite large numbers. They, they just walk away from Jesus because they're not interested in the offer that he's making them. And, and Paul's... Paul can see his own troubles mirrored in, in, in the ministry of Jesus. So he preaches in, in Corinth and starts a riot. Or, or in another part of the Bible, Alexander the metal worker does him a great deal of harm. Or, or, or in 2 Timothy, Paul says, everyone has deserted him. They've gone, just vanished. They're off. But Paul's in good company because he's in Jesus' company. And the gospel of Jesus brings both suffering and comfort. They're connected. Jesus is right there by his side, yeah? So Paul is a real leader, and, and, and he's found real comfort in his sufferings, but that's not where it ends. Have a look down at verses 6 and 7 in this first paragraph. Because Paul's concern is to pass this comfort on to others. He, he's, a, if you like, he's a river, not a lake. You see, he wants to pass it on. Verse 6. You see the, the, the us and the you. So, verse 6. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort of salvation, Corinthians. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings that we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our suffering, so also you share in our comfort. They're connected. And he wants to pass the comfort on to the Corinthian church. I was looking at this bit of the Bible earlier on this week with Chris Huntley. Some of you may know him. And we drew a diagram. I don't know whether you're a sort of diagram sort of person, but this is how we um, represented it, if you can see it up there on the screen. Can you see the interconnectedness between what Paul is experiencing and what the Corinthian church are experiencing and will continue to experience? You see, if, if we are distressed, says Paul, it is for your comfort and salvation. Sufferings go to comfort. 
If, if, if we're comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer, and our hope for you is firm. Paul's hope for the church. Suffering's not pointless. Produces comfort. As his comfort produces comfort in them. And we long for the same thing, don't we? Patient endurance. That's Paul's hope for us. Yes. That, that's what he wants to give us. He's, he's, he's a river, not a lake. He wants to pass on that comfort um, to, to us at Trinity Church, Islington, in the 21st century. I've actually come across this quote. Uh, it's been a bit ridiculed, I think, but I quite like it. From Mike Tyson. Do you remember the, um, the boxer? I quite like this quote. He said, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. I, <laughs> that's, that's true, isn't it? You know, it's easy to have a plan in the sort of in the lecture theater or even sitting here in church on a Sunday afternoon until someone comes up and sort of emotionally punches you in the face and then it all goes out the window. Our plan is to look to the apostle and beyond him to look to Jesus Christ. And Paul wants us to know the God of all comfort in that. And sometimes whatever ministry you're involved in, it'll feel like you're getting punched in the face. It's, 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 not, it's not easy. I mean, so we've got some friends of ours that they're working in a, uh, in a, in a rural ministry and they, and they work really hard at great personal cost to put on an event where the gospel is going to be shared and, the, and they asked someone to come in and, and talk about Jesus and they invited the whole church and they phoned around some of the church and they prepared lots of food and not a single person turned up. That must have felt like a punch in the face, wasn't it? Really, really hard. God. Paul would want them to know the God of all comfort and compassion in that situation. He wants to pass it on to them. Let's take comfort. Because as a church and as Christians, all of us to some extent share Paul's sufferings and, and, and through him we share the sufferings of, of, of Jesus Christ. Plans of ours have been frustrated. People we've invited to events have failed to show up. Sometimes our witness seems to make so little difference, so little difference to the people that we're, that we're speaking to. The opposition we're facing is so fierce. We feel the pressure of, of, of our concern for other churches, Crouch End maybe. You know, we think of those guys and oh, it weighs on our hearts. And some of us will have thorns in our flesh, maybe an illness or a long-term disability or a suffering family or kids that aren't that well. And it's hard. And you know, sometimes through all of that, we try and maintain a power stance. I mean, it's ridiculous, isn't it? It's ridiculous. It's just so exhausting pretending to be more successful than you really are. It's exhausting. And Paul knows that we can't sort out all of these all of these troubles ourselves. We can't. Actually, though we'd love to, but we can find comfort in those troubles. Comfort of knowing that we are experiencing what Jesus experienced and comfort of knowing how close we are to the Father of compassion. Take comfort in that, my friends. That's Paul's hope for us. But um, 
He also has a hope for himself, and that comes in verses 8 to 11. Let's have a look at those. It's our second and, and final point this afternoon. And we're calling it something like this. Stay prayerful. Not just take comfort, but stay prayerful because God's leaders rely on him with your help. Okay, God's leaders rely on God, but they need your help. Now, I'm, um, I'm not a morning person. As many people who've inadvertently met me in the morning can, can sort of willingly testify. I feel like a church that meets in the afternoon is a very good fit for my guests. Personally, I, I wonder whether we're slightly self-selected for people who aren't morning people uh, by meeting after lunch. It's possibly true. And, uh, and until I get a cup of coffee in the morning, then I sometimes joke that I feel like death. Paul's not joking when he says he feels like death in these, um, in these verses. He's not joking at all. Verse 9. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. Can you imagine getting a missionary letter from, uh, from the Apostle Paul? I mean, how worried would we be? So he'd say, Dear Trinity Church, Islington, thank you very much for your prayers and your financial support. It's all very much appreciated. I am currently despairing even of life itself. Signed, the Apostle Paul. And we'd say, we'd send out a rescue party, wouldn't we? But Paul is under huge, huge pressure. And he wants to be honest about that. That's what's so courageous, isn't it? He wants to be honest about it. Verse 8. We don't know what the, what the troubles are that he experienced in the province of Asia. We're not sure what they, what they were, but we know that he's, he's completely out of his depth. He can't cope. It's not even funny anymore. And he'll say later on in chapter 4, if you know that, that famous passage, that he'd often felt hard-pressed and perplexed and persecuted and struck down. And in effect, he just feels dazed and confused by the you know, by the, by the strength of the suffering that he's coming up against. Like, and he feels, this is the sort of picture, in chapter 4, it's like a, a clay pot, which is like a plastic cup that you just you finish your Americano and you screw it up and you chuck it in the bin. That's what he feels like. He feels ready to be chucked in the bin. Paul is under huge pressure, and it's not comfortable or enjoyable. But he trusts that, I think we need to learn, I need to learn this. He trusts that God has a higher purpose than Paul's comfort. That's a hard thing to take on board, isn't it? It's a very important but hard thing to realize, particularly at, at my time of life where you feel like things should be getting a bit more comfortable. Things should be on the rails and uh, sort of looking after themselves, generally speaking. God has a higher purpose than our comfort. And God's purpose for Paul is spelled out very clearly in, in verse 9. Have a look at that. Chapter 1, verse 9. It's one, of those, um, it's one of those explanation sentences that come at key points all the way through uh, the book of 2 Corinthians. We'll sort of pick them up as, as we go through. The sort of the sentences that have a so that or in order that, bang in the middle, they sort of they tell us about God's purpose, give us a, a window into the mind of God. 
Have a look at verse 9. But this happened. Uh, he's talking about the, his troubles. But this happened that, as in so that, we, and Paul's talking about himself, might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. <laughs> that's, um, that's power, isn't it? This happens so that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Better this way, says Paul, than to be self-sufficient, yeah? God will sometimes design things so that we can't manage on our own. But it's hard. And perhaps you've come across this book. Uh, it was... Um, it was a Sunday Times bestseller in the top 10 for 55 weeks. It's a, it's a book um, written for children, although many adults have found it helpful, written by a guy called Charlie Maxey, who says he's become a Christian. Uh, interesting, interesting guy. This is just one snapshot. It's called, um, uh, I, I haven't got it written down, but you know that. I, I, I know it's up there somewhere. Uh, the boy, the mole, the fox, and the horse. But um, uh, the boy says to the horse, what is the bravest thing you've ever said? And the horse said, help. You know, God reserves the right. He reserves the right to empty our hands of all of, all of our self-sufficiency in a world that prizes that above almost everything else. God reserves the right to empty our hands of all of our self-sufficiency so that we say, help. So that we'll rely not on ourselves, in Paul's word, but on God who raises the dead. Paul is under huge pressure so that he will rely on the God of the resurrection. I mean, where else can you turn when you feel like death? And so finally, the church will help him with their prayers. So that the church will help 